0: Now, get ready to spend the next two hours with our three sports-loving ladies, Lauren Brooks, Taylor Dahl, and Mia O'Brien. This is Helmets and Heels. Driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL.
1: Well, Mia O'Brien, we have another Victory Tuesday on our hands. What do we do? This is our eighth one of the season. It's funny because I may or may not have been
2: talking to a former Jaguar earlier today, and he was like, well, I hope you've been enjoying covering a winning team, question mark? And I was like, yeah, it's a very strange feeling because... For the first four years that I covered this team in this town, Mm -hmm. I constantly told my friends in the Midwest and up in the Northeast, well, you know, win or lose, the Jags are in the news because there's always something going down in Duval. Um, And and then there was a moment probably midway through last year, definitely this year, where I was like, you know what? No, I enjoy covering competency. That's actually a lot more fun. And so uh, obviously it's great when when wins accompany it.
1: Yes, so you were in Houston. How loud is NRG Stadium? And by the way, the Jags win by a close margin. We'll get to some decision making by Doug Peterson in a second. Win twenty four to twenty one over the Houston Texans. And oh, by the way, the AFC South is not that bad when you look. It's the NFC the East of a year ago. And <laughs> yeah,
2: it's great. Honestly, like I understand, there are those who wish it would have been a cakewalk for the Jags for the next ten years. But Trevor included. Yeah, Trevor Trevor admitted that that would have made his life a lot easier. But at the same time, if you even go back to the days of Peyton Manning, Trevor Lawrence's hero. I mean, lest we forget, on their way to the 2006 Super Bowl, the Jags whipped them by how many with 300 plus yards on the ground. And so you saw a team that was competent in the Jags that they were facing each year. I mean, the, the Titans, you know, I mean maybe not, and some of those other squads, but you need to have somebody who's a litmus test that you see twice a year, whether that's Derrick Henry, which I think a lot of Jaguar fans thought would be the case, Mm -hmm. or C.J. Stroud.
1: Yeah, and obviously right now the answer is C.J. Stroud. We'll see what Anthony Richardson becomes. We'll see if Will Levis turns out to be good. But yeah, so NRG Stadium, the Texans fans weren't there against the Cardinals, but it sounded like, at least from watching at home and, and seeing the pictures and videos, it sounded like it was loud.
2: Yeah, the initial crowd, and again, like, uh, you know, we were Are talking- they late
1: arriving like some crowds here? Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah, and it was surprising because there was such a push in the city of Houston for this is the biggest regular season game since 2019, if not 2018. Fans need to be there. It's a red out. Everybody be there. Be there early. I walked into the stadium at 930 with a 12 o'clock kickoff. I had no issues with traffic. I had no issues with tailgates going on in the parking lot. I know some folks uh, that sounded off and texted in on XL Primetime, and we were talking with Frank about this, that the old Texas stadium with Coach Campo, that they didn't allow tailgating back in the day. We're not sure if that affects some noise ordinances or what, but there was, like, no one in the parking lot, Lauren. And then in the stadium at kickoff, I didn't want to be the guy to take a photo. Someone else did. Um, 50%, maybe even 45% full, which was a little disappointing. But by the third quarter, it was definitely rocking. I'm not sure if that's a byproduct of it is an enclosed stadium, and mm-hmm. so the noise reverberates, and also it's kind of built like a cylinder. So if you've been to Mercedes-Benz Stadium, it has that sort of feel to it. But it got loud. I think having played in the Superdome earlier this year prepared this Jaguar team for what was to come.
1: The fact that the offensive line had zero sacks in a hostile environment makes no sense. Is amazing. No, it makes it, it
2: boggles. Like, Leon was sitting here, and he's like, they would have every excuse in the world if this was a game or the Superdome was the game where, you know, they had some protection issues, they had some communication
1: issues. Those were the two games, arguably, that were their best of the season. I think, at least the way I look at it, I think that if you don't have a dominant defensive front, this team is going to be, this offensive line is going to be just fine. And the team offensively is going to play well. But if you do have, whether it's the interior or whether it's the outside guys, the edge guys that are incredibly talented, that's when the Jaguars' offensive line has struggled, both exterior and interior of the line. The Texans, that's not the challenge that they present. The challenge they present is C.J. Stroud is going to pass for over 300 yards, and you better just be able to outscore them.
2: Right. If anything, and I was funny because I was listening to some of the national podcasts today, especially the Athletic Football Show, and they wanted to compare the offense that is being run in Houston. Bobby Slowick is the O.C. He came from the Shanahan tree. It looks a lot like the Niners. Maybe it's because I have Christian McCaffrey lenses on, but I couldn't disagree more. If anything, it looks like the offense being run in Buffalo, where the run game is an afterthought, or at least you're leaning into it solely so that you can create soft boxes, and then you can take shots downfield on second and third and long, and you have a quarterback who you trust to do that. But like, it, it honestly, it, it was like an afterthought. And yes, this was the first game that CJ Stroud, because the Jags basically said, we know you can't run it, We're one of the best top five teams in the league that can stop the run. We're going to stop you, and then you are going to have to run. And he did, so clearly he proved he can take advantage, especially when the Jags would drop into some single-man coverage. Um, But it's, it's fascinating because I would think that this will rear its ugly head at some point on the Texans, but the Bills up until this season have been competitive for four years with Josh Allen, who's obviously in the upper echelon of quarterbacks despite not having a run game. And the Jags absolutely neutralized it. And it it'll be curious to see, because we also see the Chiefs evolving from the early days of Mahomes where they were content without scoring their opposition to now saying, "All right, you know what? We do need to invest on defense, and maybe besides Patrick, our best offense can be our defense,
1: and the Eagles, I feel like are kind of in both those yep. camps the forty nineers the yeah, they run the ball the forty ers obviously run the ball. those are the the top three teams I would say in the league. Mm-hmm. They all are going to do it a little bit differently, and the question is at the end of the day, at the end of this season, I really should say, what wins out? I don't know that we're going to get a repeat of Chiefs-Eagles, but if we do, what wins in that in that style of game? But obviously, all those three teams, what those three teams have in common, really good trenches. Mm-hmm. And the Jaguars' defensive front and offensive line have some good pieces, certainly the tackles are playing well. Cam Robinson was playing well before he went down. We'll get an injury report from you in the next segment. But overall, the tackles are playing well. The interior line not playing as well. As far as the Jags' defensive line, it's a little bit different. The outside linebackers are playing really well. The interior, some guys are playing well, like Roy Robertson, and Harris. But overall, it's not like they're getting a ton of sacks from the interior. But can the Jaguars stack up against the best teams in the league with the offensive and defensive line that they have? That's what we don't, we have no idea at this point in time.
2: So, um, this is courtesy of, and I'm not sure who Arjun Menon works for. He used to work for the Jets in their analytics department, but he's been churning out some really good stats. And our good buddy Gus Logue was able to uh, uncover this one and make sure all of Duval could see it on Twitter if you haven't already. The top pass rush combinations, best four man pass rushing combos for each team, minimum 15 snaps together, where they rank compared to. Other four-man combos in terms of pressure rate this season. Overall rankings, the four-man combo of Dewan Smoot, Josh Allen, Roy Robertson-Harris, and Trayvon Walker, where do you think they rank among the 32 teams in the National Football League? I would guess like 12. Fourth. Hmm. They are fourth. They pressure 59.26% of the time. Or excuse me. Sorry, that was the my bad. That's 49ers. They're a third. By the way, so not that different. They they pressure the quarterback 56% of the time. Sack rate of 4% of the time, so perhaps that's where you would think yeah. 12th. And they run stunts together 32% of the time. And so the pressure rate is what's keeping them in fourth. Yeah, in pressures
1: that. are good. Right.
2: Sacks are not where they need to be. Right. In sack rate, you know, the Packers right now have the highest percent, or actually, no, sorry, the Chargers have the highest percentage with their four-man in front of Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, Morgan Fox, and Tooley out of USC at 30%. But they only pressure the quarterback 50% of the time. And so this is where it speaks to when Trent Bulkey built this defense and when Mike Caldwell said, these are the pieces that I like and this is how I'm going to use them. It was, if we can affect the quarterback, we trust our back end. If we are creating uncomfortable situations for the opposition and forcing them into bad mistakes, even if we can't bring the quarterback down, we know on the back end that those guys are thinking takeaways and we'll be able to create some mismatches and we'll be able to create turnovers from there. And the three teams ahead of them, the Buffalo Bills, with a 68.67% pressure rate, only sacked the quarterback 9.52% of the time. So not that much better than the
1: Jags. But twice as much percentage if mm-hmm. it's 4% to 9.5. Right, right. But hey, it's it's still better than the uh, the Cardinals, who are fifth in pressures.
2: Uh, that same combo has accounted for uh, zero sacks. So uh, yeah, so not exactly great. But at the same time, th- we heard this throughout the offseason, that this defensive front was constructed to create pressure. They wanted to get sacks. The sacks would come with the development of Trayvon Walker with the continued development of Roy Robertson Harris and Josh Allen. And the part we're not talking about is Devon Hamilton, a healthy scratch for the second straight week. There was so much optimism that creating that interior push, him getting a second contract, taking the next step, fully Fadokasi being fully healthy, that the Jags would be able to create this interior push and that would free up those guys on the edge. That really hasn't been the case. And so you're actually seeing this smaller four-man lineup that's actually wreaking the most havoc on opposing quarterbacks.
1: And I understand the philosophy of it, but because you have so few pass rushers that are really, really talented, and coming into the season you knew Smoot was injured, I still don't understand why you don't go get another Oh, I I, I, I couldn't agree I don't understand. Because if something happens to, and I don't even like to say these sentences out loud, someone— Uh, then you are in trouble and you didn't fortify it when you had the opportunity. You fortified your offensive line. All the credit there. Ezra Cleveland had to step in. He got some snaps last week at left left guard. Yep. And then this week was plugged in at left guard. And it was interesting. I heard your interview with Walker Little post-game. And he's like, yeah, we talked about if Cam Robinson went down, I'd slide out. I'm like, wait, you guys have these conversations? If you go down, this is what happens I'm sure they do, but I don't even like putting that stuff into the universe. But he also
2: said that him and Ezra had been on the field together in practice maybe one or two snaps since Ezra arrived in Jacksonville.
1: Yeah, I would have done that probably a little differently. If I'm having the conversation about Cam going down, hey, Cam, in case you're out, I'm going to do this and this, and maybe we should practice that. But either way, the offensive line, that's how we started this whole conversation. The offensive line was tremendous on Sunday in Houston, and if they play like that, this team is not just going places, but going deep into the postseason. The question is, can they play like that against a much more talented and just wreaking havoc type of defensive line? Correct. Player? Like the 49ers of
2: the world, the Eagles of the world, if you're to get to the promised land. Yeah. I, I want to point out that part of the offensive line's success, and obviously they looked great in pass protection, struggled to run the ball, but Houston clearly came in with the game plan of we are stopping the run. Travis Etienne not 100% healthy. That also was a factor. So much of it, was, dare I say it, Pete Prisco, don't get mad at me, was the screen game, but it was the screen game getting out in space. Ezra Cleveland and Brandon Scherf are at their best when they are pulling, when they are 30 yards downfield blocking for a running back behind them. That's just when they are at their best. They leaned into that in this game, and it didn't work the first few times, but when it popped, it popped. And that's the play everyone's been talking about with Ezra Cleveland's first extended run with the Jaguars was that Dearness Johnson – Uh, screenplay, where he is just motoring downfield. And anyone who's questioned Brandon Scherf, I mean, just pull up the tape of his time in Washington, of his time in college. Like this, Those guys are so athletic. This Jaguars offensive line, I know Hayes just said it on the Frangie show, it is one of the most finesse offensive lines you will find. And I understand there are fans that are upset because they don't have the nasty, they're not people movers. They're people movers, but in space. You need to get these guys out onto islands. They cannot just be Blocking straight ahead. They need to be using angles, pulling and pushing. And so you saw them do that. And that, in my opinion, is a big reason why
1: they had success. All right. So quick question before we get to the other side. Would you have kicked the field goal before the half? No. You would have gone for it. I would have gone for it. And what play call would you have chosen to go for it? I probably would have done the Trevor extension.
2: But as uh, as Bo Valentine, Kevin pointed out to me, um, they were prepared for it. If you looked at how the Texans were lined up, they were expecting a Trevor sneak. And so that's where I maybe I throw the ball or I always go back to, if you remember Kyler Murray in 2021 week three against the Jags, that bootleg that the Cardinals ran and no one along the Jaguars defensive front saw it coming. Maybe something like that.
1: See, all of those to me are iffy. The three points with Brandon McManus from that line. I mean, that I thought, come on, that's easy. I thought, Kirk Double was there. Dip. I thought Kirk was, I thought Kirk was, in. it was, he was close. He I mean, wasn't he in. He stepped on the line. Yeah, but. he was close, but it wasn't. So to me, you take the points, you go into the half with the momentum. You don't give them any momentum whatsoever at home. And you come out on the other side and hopefully you score a touchdown, but either way, it didn't end up costing the Jags. They did not have to go to overtime. Here's the thing. If PI is
2: called, and again, I'm not, you know, hindsight's 2020. I get it. You can't change history. If DPI had been called on Evan Ingram on the pick, on that opening drive in the second half and the Jags go down and score a touchdown. Are we having this conversation about the play before halftime as much as we are?
1: I think we always have the conversation because it's such an interesting choice. And by interesting, I mean the choice that most people wouldn't make who watch football a lot like, and we know Doug Peterson's aggressive. That's fine. Be aggressive in certain situations in that situation. I'm always kicking the field goal, getting the extra points. All right, we will keep it on the Jaguars. We've got Monday night football on deck for this team coming up. A week from yesterday, we will be with you next Tuesday night to hopefully have another victory Tuesday. We will review our impact players that we chose against the Texans and preview our impact players against the Bengals. And I've got Taylor's. Uh, she has the night off, but I've got her impact players as far as the opposing team, the Bengals. You're listening to Helmets and Heels, driven by Tara, at on Tenten X on E2.5 FM.
0: Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet.
1: Brought to you by
0: Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL.
1: Mia O'Brien is here, JJ LaSolva. I am Lauren Brooks. Taylor Doll has the night off. As she recuperates, she'll be back with us next week. And again, hopefully a victory Tuesday once again. I've told you before, I've been doing Helmets and Heels since August of 2014. There have not been very many seasons this would be the second, in fact. There's a couple where there's been winning football
2: this often. There's a couple seasons you could combine. Sorry to cut you off, Lauren. A couple oh no, seasons you're you right. Could
1: combine, yes, uh-huh. and, and you don't get to eight wins. I think it was 2020 COVID year was the one or 2021. There was that one was season that I said, yeah, so it was 2020. I said on the kickoff show that the Jaguars will not win again, and they did not win. And I said that I think in like October, I was like, this team, nope, it's over. They're not winning again. Which is hard.
2: It's hard to not win. It is.
1: Because people, I think teams know when you're tanking, and sometimes the teams that are also trying to tank are like, nah, we're not winning this one. We're not beating you. And the Jaguars came very close several times that season to winning. Thankfully, they did not win again. All right, our impact players last week against the Texans. I will tell you, like, the moment that Evan – so my first on offense was Evan Ingram. The moment he caught that first pass, I was like – this is it my impact player is about to destroy everyone else's not that it's a competition uh, but I think everything's a competition I was super excited and then of course he drops that one pass and he still had a fine game but it was like he had I feel like he was ascending the mountain and then it just didn't go according to plan
2: yeah um and we still have some listeners who I know have hit up the text line and they're like hey next time you talk to your boy Trevor tell him He's got to get Ingram a touchdown. And trust me, they're trying. Absolutely. They're scheming him open. I think that's obvious. I mean, it's been the nature of how it goes. Like, you know, it's all about matchups. And I don't think Evan is honestly that upset. Like, I'm sure he, you know, internally would like some touchdowns, you know, because it helps his bottom line. But he already got paid, and he's performing well. It is an anomaly, though, that when you look at his stats, Lauren, it is officially, because I want to make sure I have the updated number correct, um, 64 catches, five hundred and twenty four four yards and zero touchdowns, 64 catches. He had 70 something all of
1: last year. Right. He is. He's done a phenomenal job. Last year. It's just, yeah, they haven't connected in the end zone. But look, Trevor didn't connect with a lot of people in the end zone for their there for a while. He only had nine passing touchdowns at the bye. I will say the fact that Luke Farrell had more receiving yards than Evan Ingram, this past game, I knew a tight end was going to be important. I just should have, I guess, combined the tight ends. I had no idea that they were going to utilize Luke Farrell this much as a pass-catching tight end. More
2: than just a great family, folks. Um, I, I think you a lot it of it, a lot of it is they've been leaning into 12 and 13 personnel because then they have an extra tight end who, at the very least, gives the appearance of we're bringing in somebody to help chip, and then they can split out wide. They They have always said that they felt like Luke Farrell was a capable blocking tight yeah. end. He wasn't Chris Manhurts, who essentially is a sixth offensive lineman, but he was a capable blocking tight end, and he had decent hands. And Bretton Strange, you know, here's the reality of it. Go back to Dallas Goddard. Go back to any of Travis Kelsey, for crying out loud. Their rookie seasons, just by nature at the tight end position, are never off the charts. George Kittle is an exception. Dalton Kincaid so far this season has been an exception. Part of that, of course, is they have been without Dawson Knox up in Buffalo. And so, was Fryermuth really good his rookie season? Mm, I think he was, I mean, he was good. Well, Lauren, that's an offense that went 59 straight games without a 400 yard performance on its offense. So I'm not really sure uh, how how good we can really say he was. Um, Pat Fryermuth in his rookie season had 60 catches, 497 yards, and seven touchdowns.
1: Okay, that's really good, I think. That as as, is, yeah. So that's where, like, I know the the saying is. So
2: that's why Bretton Strange, like, I don't think a lo- I don't think th- that heavy of a workload was ever really
1: expected
2: of him. And you re-signed Evan Ingram to a three-year deal. That's
1: the thing. Yeah, you had Evan Ingram. But either way, I do think he'll end up with at least a touchdown, if not multiple. I also had Buster Brown on defense. I think the secondary had a pretty good game. They were going up against some really talented receivers in and Tank Dell and certainly Nico Collins. Dell, yes, had the touchdown, but he only had 50 yards overall. So, Darius Williams, your selection on defense, Mia, who I was going to pick, I think he has been terrific this season, especially because Tyson has been absent a lot with the hamstring. So, therefore, he's had to cover the number one wide receiver. He's done a tremendous job. I was surprised, Lauren. They went left-right. He was not
2: trailing Tank Dell or Nico Collins as a, quote-unquote, number one wide receiver, probably because you can chalk it up to both those guys as much as Tank Dell is Probably ahead of Nico Collins right now. You can say they're the same. Um, I was surprised on the first play of the game. C.J. Stroud went after Buster Brown, and it was Tank Dell, and it was not Darius Williams on him. And I noted to D Rock, I was like, "Oh, all right, left and right, not having somebody trailing him." We'll see how this strategy pays off, Cotton. It did. Um, Darius Williams, I thought, had the pick that that play that mm-hmm. ultimately got called back because of an illegal shift. Um, I thought he had the ball. I think he actually may have batted it up into Tank Dell's hands. So, yo, I mean, he's top 10 in the league and passes defense among corners. He's top 10 in terms of yardage allowed. Anybody who questioned whether or not he would be the answer as the Batman and Robin to Tyson Campbell, he has completely silenced those doubters this year.
1: He certainly has. Your offensive player was Zay Jones, who, as long as he's in the lineup, he's, Going to make this offense successful. Yeah, it's these stacked formations
2: and the fact that defenses now have to account for three legitimate wide receiver threats, plus Evan Ingram, plus Travis Etienne. And that is with all due respect to our boy, Tim Jones. They're not really accounting for Tim Jones the same way they have to account for Zay Jones. And so Zay was super upbeat after the game. You can check out our interview on 1010XL's YouTube channel super smiley happy with the dub he gave the pregame speech which you'll hear in sounds of the game if you haven't already because the clip's been out there for a couple of days um
1: I freaking I, love sounds of the game by the way yeah
2: it's great shout out to Trent they do a great job not Trent Balky, Trent Padilla but also Trent Bulky. um but Zay I thought also I mean the play along the sideline if that second foot gets down so close that's right up there with his catch against the Titans last Absolutely. year with the, with the fingernail that got in like so, I'm curious. He contorts
1: his body in a way, too, that I'm like, yeah. oh no, he's going to be hurt and he's fine, yeah. thankfully. Well, he, he can
2: levitate. So, we really, I, I tweeted that at some point. I'm like, we shouldn't be surprised. He can levitate. Like, this stuff happens with him. Um, But no, I think a Zay day is coming. I'm not sure if it's against the Bengals, but I, I think you will see that two or three touchdown day from him at some point in the next few weeks.
1: All right, JJ, you had Trevor Lawrence. I'm going to say you win in that category on uh, Above Everyone. And you also had Trayvon Walker, who had another good game.
3: And I'm gonna have Trayvon Walker again.
1: And what about Trevor?
3: Um, I I <laughs> guess he won the duel because he won. I thought both quarterbacks were great. Absolutely. Um, Trevor, I wouldn't place him uh, to blame for the interception either. No, oh um, my goodness. And I'm blame. I would have also kicked before halftime. Okay. But if you don't do the just do the QB sneak. You know, give Trevor another one. Give my fantasy team six more points. Come are, on, Doug. You, are you like
1: the broadcast team? Put it in your non-throwing hand if you're going to extend it over the goal line.
3: I I didn't hear that. Oh, Obviously, okay. I'm here only listening to Frank and company. Good point. That's true. Uh, so, no, Catalan, I didn't hear those traitors. Matt, I think Obviously, you should have turned the TV the down <laughs> Yeah. and turned the radio up, people. That's why, by the way, we take it off of... Uh, delay delay so if you're at the game or at home or whatever you can listen to the game
1: that is a very good point uh but yeah i think it must have been matt ryan that because he was on the broadcast team that interesting i didn't uh, even
3: know he was doing games
1: i
2: actually walked with him and tiki barber onto the field and part of me was like three legends i know i was like (laughs) this is actually wild right now like i really don't know how to feel about this it was me them and then dylan morton from pr are you
3: like I know a guy who named his dog after you. I Tiki. should have said
2: that, <laughs> Coach Campo. Of course, yeah. Oh, I missed a golden opportunity. Oh my god, I'm I've, gonna be upset now. I've
1: met Tiki Barber before. Yes.
2: Oh, the, oh, the actual the dog, not the or dog, the player. I was gonna say the dog. Both
1: do- the dog and <laughs> the dog actual is an player. icon.
2: So, if you didn't know, folks, uh, Coach Campo's dog is named Tiki Barber, even though he never coached Tiki Barber. Um, and he is adorable. He's like a little like white Maltese and. He's very cute. I
1: have to say, I had to look back at the picture because I was like, wait, did I? Meet? So this was back in 2018 when I went to Philadelphia for the Army-Navy mm-hmm. game. And I was like, we we interviewed either Tiki or Rondé. I don't remember now which I mean, which they ones. are identical. So I had to look back at the picture. I was like, OK, that is Tiki. I can see him on the TV. But yeah, I think Matt Ryan must have been the one since he was the quarterback on the broadcast who said, all right, Trevor, I, the quarterback sneak is fine, but you want to use your non-throwing hand. All right. Taylor Smart. picked, absolutely, T- Taylor picked C.J. Stroud and Jonathan Grenard Grenard was really no factor, but C.J. Stroud, obviously, like J.J. just said, he's a, I mean, an incredible rookie quarterback. He might be, what not might be, he will be Offensive Rookie of the Year, assuming that he doesn't have an injury. He's been. And assuming that Arthur
2: Smith continues to give Tyler Algier the ball and not Bijan. My fantasy team is not happy with you, <laughs> Arthur.
1: He's been so Incredibly calm. Uh, that's the part. Like, uh, he, yes, we knew he was talented, but how do you remain that calm and keep your eyes downfield when your entire pocket's collapsed and you have to move around and you've been we'll getting like pressure a spin all day? Move, Correct. You like, know, like that he's is super amazing. Sneaky
3: to me. athletic, too. He, it gets out of a part of it too, of though. The,
2: you can't deny the the chemistry between him and Tank Dell. Sure, that is a big part of this. I mean, it is borderline. Screw it, Jamar's down there somewhere with Joe Burrow. Yeah, that—that's what territory we're. But they
1: played together in college, right? That's, that's what what's makes crazy about CJ and Tane. Yes,
2: yeah. it's what makes it insane. You could see it, especially because to their credit, the Jaguars secondary, I thought, played a phenomenal game. Part of it was, I mean, what? There were a couple plays where CJ Stroud had like ten. 15 seconds, it felt like he's running around with the ball. because I think coverage I saw someone, was, it might have been Baloo tweeting it. He counted eight seconds. Yeah, because the coverage was so good. On the other side of that, your front didn't get to him. Yeah, Part of it was he was eluding them,
1: but it was just like you couldn't believe it. But that's why I was so impressed with the Jaguars actually getting to him at times is because we've seen Jaguars teams in the past. If there's a guy who's even slightly mobile, they just have no prayer. And so the fact that they were able to actually get to him was great. All right, let's get to the Jaguars injury report here, and then we'll pick our impact players going up for Monday Night Football against the Bengals in the next segment. But Mia, tell us the latest when it comes to the Jaguars injuries.
0: The personal injury attorneys of Farrah and Farrah present this injury update. Farrah and Farrah. Jacksonville. Exclusive injury law firm of the Jacksonville Jaguars.
2: So let's begin with the schedule. Because Doug Peterson met with reporters yesterday, but the Jaguars had yesterday, today, and tomorrow off in anticipation of Monday Night Football. And so we will know more about Cam Robinson's injury on Thursday. What we do know in the interim is that Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network reported it's going to be a three to six week stint for Cam on the reserve injured list. Obviously, so much better than
1: any of us thought.
2: Right. Obviously, technically, he has to be on it for four. So we know the earliest he could return would be against the Carolina Panthers on New Year's Eve. It'll be curious to see if that is actually the case because if Ezra Cleveland and Walker Little play well together, you got a decision to make.
1: Well, and I don't think you're going to rush him back if he's, you know, if, it, if the projection is more like six weeks, you don't rush him. If they're playing well, you don't rush him back and it's not a competition thing. It's a we want to make sure he's 100% healthy. Since you were in the press box, could you see the towel on his head and him crying? Yes, and then uh, Trevor
2: walked over to him because he was sitting by himself and then Trevor walked over to him. So, yeah, I watched it happen live, so absolutely. Um, The other big injury coming out of Sunday's game, Travis Etienne with a chest injury. He went into the locker room at one point in the first half, believe he had x-rays or some sort of examination, re-entered the game, was questionable to return but did come back. Obviously, part of the game plan was to get Dearness Johnson and Tank Bigsby more involved before the injury – Once the injury occurred, they clearly needed to lean to those guys a bit more. But it didn't feel like, Lauren, they were like, okay, Travis can't go. We need to get one of these guys to touch. It felt like they were still giving him the same workload, but he wasn't
1: 100%. Last week against the Titans, it felt like that as well to me. That The Jaguars have already decided, we've given ETN too many touches to this point in the season. We've got to mix it up. And we have capable guys. I mean, certainly Dearness Johnson – I understand there's so much concern with Tank Bigsby just because of all the different things that have happened. I still think he's capable. And by the way, I immediately when watching him run with the football noted that he was holding that, like someone holds their newborn baby. Like, he was never letting that goal, that ball get punched out. Never in a million. I don't care how many guys are about to tackle him. That ball was not coming out.
2: Yeah. No, uh, they're trying to get him out of the doghouse. They're trying to build his confidence back up. And obviously Which is good. Sunday was a step in the right direction because they need him. They Absolutely. drafted him to be a short yardage back. Yep. And so they're going to need him to do that. Um, Some other notes, Tyson Campbell missed another game with a hamstring injury. We'll be curious to see when the team reports back on Thursday what his status is. And Devon Hamilton, a healthy scratch for a second straight game. Doug Peterson saying last week that they continue to build his strength up and just felt like until he reaches a certain threshold, you know, Lauren, the reality is, is you know, would you ha- want to have a half-healthy Devon Hamilton or a fully healthy Angelo Blackson who has three fumble recoveries this year.
1: And you want Devon Hamilton for the late postseason push. It, it's crazy because we haven't talked like this about players in so long. I mean, it's literally been six years. Right. Because last year we weren't talking about this at this point in time. The Jaguars were still having so many games in front of them that they absolutely had to win to even think about the postseason. Now it's almost like we're all just like, okay, the postseason's coming. What are the kinds of things that they need to do to get ready for the postseason? And to me, keeping Devon Hamilton on the bench for as long as he needs by all means until he's healthy. And then maybe he can help create that interior push. Like we've talked about on along that defensive front. I mean, that is going to be super impactful when you get to playing teams like the chiefs or the Ravens in the postseason. And I thought Jeremiah Ledbetter had a a
2: great game on Sunday. So that's all obviously also important that if you're getting production out of those backup guys, kind of helps devon hamilton to say all right let me continue to ramp myself up um this is the fair and farrah injury report but i do want to also note uh t higgins missed another game last week against the steelers correct me if i'm wrong for the cincinnati Bengals, Mm -hmm. that will be a curious matchup as we look to our impact players for next week lauren in the next segment because uh yeah it may not be
1: joe burrow throwing the ball but jamar t higgins tyler boyd it's a lot of horses for courses Yes, we will get to that when we come back. You are listening to Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet on 1010XL and 92.5 FM.
0: Stilettos and Sabermetrics. Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Vans on 1010XL.
1: It is a Victory Tuesday here on Helmets and Heels. That's because the Jaguars are 8-3, and three pretty amazing. So I picked 15 and 2 before the season. If they don't win again, they'll finish 14 and 3. I feel good about my prediction Not so too far. Shabby. Yeah, and if they lose a couple games still, 13 and 4 is certainly or 13 or 12 and 5 at that point in time is nothing to sneeze at. But it does feel like based on the things that have been happening to the other teams on the schedule, you feel pretty good about maybe only one more loss or maybe running the table, you never know. Yeah, I mean that Ravens team, for as good as that defense looks, for as good as Lamar
2: Jackson has looked, on Sunday night football, there were plenty of self-inflicted wounds. The fact that the Chargers were still hanging around with a chance to tie it late in the fourth quarter, you, I, I was watching it on the plane ride back, and I just kept having to look at it and be like, wait a second, Like, how is this still the score because the Ravens so thoroughly, thoroughly dominated Los Angeles, but they just never were able to find pay dirt? Or kick a field goal, which you have Justin Tucker. Like, what, like, what are we doing? Yeah, which missed. I know. Yeah, I couldn't believe it in an indoor stadium. Can we start saying that Brandon McManus is the best kicker in the league? He's been top three, top four for about ten years. I mean, he's JJ. You probably I would
3: never say that about Justin Tucker. He's, the guy t- he's is one of so one. So good. Yeah, he's, yeah. One, he's one of one. It's to where when he does miss, it's a whole thing. Right. Like we're talking about it right now. Would it's you true. agree,
2: though? McManus has been top five over the oh, last yeah. like ten spe- years. Well,
3: yeah. S- this season especially. Right. He's but been he's been automatic. even
2: when he was in Denver. Like he was a fantasy football darling. Yes. I mean, between him. I'd say
3: it is easy to kick bombs up there. But yeah, he yeah. just because of the air.
2: Yeah, him, Prater. And uh, obviously Justin Tucker's in a class all his own. Like Those, I would say, are like the top three in terms of like fantasy kickers that people look for. So that's why it's such a weapon for the Jags that you can – That's why you kick before the half. Also that. Sorry. Also that. But like the the second field goal or the one he missed Uh – The one he missed was actually shorter than the one he made in the second half. Correct. But like I was looking at where he was lining up and I'm like – Two, three years ago, this would have been a pipe dream for the Jags to have a kicker that could kick from that length. No offense to Matthew Wright and the kicks he had in London, but, like, consistently having a guy that can hit from over 50, that's
1: bonkers. It's funny because as Jaguars fans, you had Mike Hollis, you had Josh Scobie, and at some point in time you had Josh Lane. But for the most part, like, you're the person who's always in, like, a long-term relationship. But then all of a sudden you go through that, like, that person goes through that, like, swinging door like carousel yeah of like dating lots of people in very quick fashion and it's like that's how we felt I feel like as Jaguars fans during that Matthew Wright Riley well Riley was here for a little bit but didn't we have Jake Elliott for a brief period of time? Jason Myers we had Jason Myers before before Lambo. it was
2: no during 2020 it was like there was like six different guys correct yeah yeah and it's it's like you're
1: used to that person always being a long-term relationship but then they keep bringing a new person over and you're like what is this and then now we're back to the long term relationship. Here we go. I, think, Brandon I, I
2: think I have the uh, the time. We go. <laughs> are you ready? The revolving. So we door. had Aldrich Rosas. Yes, I remember him. We he had, had a big leg. Kayla McLaughlin. Yes, I, of course. Uh, never forget this guy. Uh, John, Who was the guy
3: that had never kicked John before. Brown. I was just going to say it.
2: Yep, John Brown. <laughs> uh, they had Stephen Hauska for like three years. Oh, games. yeah, I remember him,
1: of course. Yeah,
2: it's. Six different kickers in one season. Yeah. No NFL team had ever done that before the Jags.
1: And again, this is an organization, a franchise, that has had really good kickers. And man, Urban, one of the other things that he ruined was us having really good kickers. But thankfully, we're back. And, And certainly, props to Riley Patterson. He was great a season ago. But Brandon McManus... I love how he kicks off. Riley missed another one on
2: uh, Thanksgiving, too. Yes, he did. yeah.
1: Yeah. And McManus, that ball is always going in the end zone when he kicks off. Riley, that was not always the case. All right. Our impact players coming up less than a week from tonight. Monday Night Football against the Bengals here at Everbank Stadium. I will kick things off. I am going to take the same player that I took last time. I never do this. But I believe Evan Ingram is going to get the touchdown. And the reason why is because the Bengals have allowed massive yards to tight ends in the past including two different tight ends for the Texans, and against the Steelers as well, Pat Firemouth had an amazing game. So I'm picking Evan Ingram again, and by golly, he's getting a touchdown. I
2: can't wait for Evan Ingram to go for over a hundred yards. The Jaguars <laughs> win by three scores, and he still has not found the end zone. No, it's going to be so funny just because that... everyone's going to be calling in here angry, and I'm like, I'm going to be like, you won by 21, and it's going to be like, yeah, but Evan Ingram. So um, I'm going to go with Calvin Ridley. Um, okay, obviously, back-to-back games with a touchdown should be multi-touchdowns in
1: back-to-back games. Yes, it should be that. It's such a close. Yeah, season.
2: and as Coach Campo noted today on primetime, like, he's still running one to two wrong routes a game, which I think... You could
1: tell that at one point in time in this game. Yeah,
2: you're, you're just going to kind of have to live with that, unfortunately, but it appears, it appears, they have finally figured out how to incorporate him into this offense. So let's hope it continues.
1: Yes, certainly. All right, JJ, who you got?
3: Brandon McMahon. No. Oh, no. Um, I'm going to go with uh, uh, Trevor. Travis, excuse me. <laughs> oh, ETN. I was going to
1: say it. Okay.
3: I get the ETNs mixed up all the time. Ah, well, that's um,
1: understandable. I should do yeah, that. Yeah,
3: just because he's sort of – I hope he's healthy, first of all. Yeah. But he hasn't gotten a lot of carries the last couple of weeks, not a lot of yards. So I know that's got to be killing him. You know, even though the team's winning and stuff, these guys still like – Individual stats, sure. And uh, yeah, I'm gonna go etn. Big game on Sunday. I think Monday.
2: An important note too, JJ, that his numbers haven't been eye popping the last few weeks, but they haven't abandoned the run. And I think that that's been so critical to opening up the play action because you can't just be one dimensional. Like you need to at least show some semblance of you are a threat to run it. And exactly. So,
3: Even though on Monday, I don't think that'll be, and I think they're just going to blow him out.
2: Yeah, JJ's been saying this for about two weeks now, for... Lauren. He thinks the Jags are going to blow Bengals out. I'm well, I
3: it. thought they, were, I, I thought they would handle it, um, Houston. Too. Easier than they actually did. Yeah, That's but, why I was like super impressed by uh, Stroud because, like, every time I thought the Jags would take mm-hmm, a handle yeah. on the game, he would have an easy drive, and it was like, dang, this guy, he's not going away right. anytime soon. But yeah, the, to me, the Jags maybe have one or two games left that they could lose even though it's the NFL they're going to potentially lose some random ones that you won't think about but yeah i i think they'll pretty easily win the south
2: if uh if you have Calvin Ridley catch that touchdown and again again history's you know can't be changed
1: yeah everything's 20 there's not that 20 2020 interception uh, that was right bogus. If there's not the interception yeah.
2: even if Evan Ingram uh catches on the second drive of yep. the game what would have been a third down conversion that drive extends, if Zay gets a foot in bounds, if Christian Kirk sneaks in, then you're looking at a scenario where the Jags do win this game by two, three scores. And it, what would that have done to Houston? Because Coach Campo was talking about this too. Like, if that was the case, Stroud probably has to throw it more. And so it actually
1: still could have been just as close. That's the thing. It's always tricky to play that game because yeah. you never know what then, they might be pressing a little bit. And, and Stroud is so calm that he could have, you know, found... Dell again or Nico Collins or whatever. It's so hard to play the, well, what if in the end, at least that field goal doinked uh, and the poor kicker was sent home packing uh, by the way, I always love... Wait, wait, can we talk about... Yeah.
2: Did you see this, JJ? Amendola? That D'Amico Ryans, in his press
1: conference yesterday, was like, oh, yeah, we love Amendola. Like, he's sticking around. Two hours later, they waved him.
3: Oh, no.
2: So it sounds
1: like that's more of a GM thing than D'Amico Ryans. But yeah, but I'm sorry. You can't be an NFL kicker. <clears throat> Excuse me. You can't be an NFL kicker and not be able to kick it 50 yards. Like, you have to make... As soon as they showed that, we were all like, okay. Because uh, they showed on the broadcast, he has yet to make a fifty-plus yard field goal, fifty or longer. You can't exist in this league, and I know he's the backup to Fairburn and everything, but like, no, that's not going to be acceptable. Well, he obviously
3: has the leg for it. I he mean, does, that was like he's... a fifty-seven yarder would have been good from right. You know, but he missed
1: wide right before that when right. it wasn't as long. So <clears throat> maybe he's in his own head. All right, so Which we've that's got the whole
3: thing with these kickers. Oh my like God, I, yeah. at the NFL level, they can all kick like fifty-five yarders, right? But Man, when they mentally get out of it, they're done. It's crazy. Like, and that's J- Jason what we thought. Myers That's sucked what I was here, just about to say. That's what we thought Seattle. happened to Did, Jason Myers. Yeah, didn't miss for a whole year after that. Mm-hmm. It's crazy.
1: That was very frustrating, but it's like sometimes too, it's a change of environment. Like, we talk about this with Bo Nix. Bo Nix at Auburn was awful. Bo Nix at Oregon, amazing. So sometimes it's just, you know, the environment that you're in. But anyway, okay. So we have Evan Ingram, we have Travis Etienne, and Mia has Calvin Ridley. We're going to switch to the defensive side of the ball. I'm going to say Josh Allen because I think he against this offensive line and Jake Browning is going to wreak havoc once again. And I know that it's a contract year for him. And he wants the franchise record for sacks in a season. And he wants all the records because all the money is going to be coming his way.
2: He wants to be top two, and it ain't two. That's right. Um, I am going to pick Trey Herndon because I picked Darius Williams last week and Buster Brown a few weeks before that and Tyson Campbell a few weeks before that. (laughs) And as alluded to, the Bengals, one thing they do have, not sure if the quarterback can get them the ball, but if he can, they have a ton of weapons. And so you need to be accounting for at least three wide receivers, if not some of these unnamed guys like Trent Irwin and – whoever the random tight end is that they got running around that have been able to even, you know, put up some numbers against the likes of the Baltimore Ravens defense.
1: And JJ, you got Trayvon Walker. Always. Always. And And I think
3: like you said, backup quarterback, the Jags are probably going to have the lead causing them to have to throw. And it's just feast time for the I think it is.
1: I think you will see a double digit lead by halftime and maybe even more than that by the end of the third quarter. So I'm with you, JJ. I, I understand they have weapons, but I just don't think they have the guy to get those weapons the ball. And Taylor is going to take Jamar Chase for the Bengals. She says with Joe Burrow out, Chase is the perfect security blanket for the backup quarterback. He has 914 yards this season, six touchdowns, four 100-plus-yard games, and a couple others that were close, depending what is going on with T. Higgins. He is even more important. And then she also has linebacker Logan Wilson. He is dealing with an ankle injury in his day-to-day, which would be a big hit for the Bengals if he cannot play. Wilson not only has three interceptions, but has also racked up 58 tackles, four of those for loss, six passes defensed, a sack, and two forced fumbles. He causes a lot of issues on the field and all over the place. So she's got Jamar Chase and Logan Wilson for the Bengals. Hopefully, the, really, the Logan Wilson can't play. I mean, I at this point in time, all of the different things that are kind of falling the Jaguars' way. If, sorry, Logan, if you can't go, it, you go the way of Mark Andrews and Joe Burrow and – Uh, Deshaun Watson and all the others. All right, we've got more to do here on the Frangie Show. On the Frangie Show. Here on Helmets and Heels, we've got bell ringers coming up next. The Frangie Show will be back tomorrow, by the way, 3 to 6, XL primetime, noon to 3. You are listening to Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet on 1010XL ninety two point five FM.
0: Helmets and Heels on 1010XL, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans.
1: Taylor Dahl has the night off. She'll be back next week. Mia O'Brien is here. JJ LaSelva. I'm Lauren Brooks hanging out with you on this victory Tuesday. I just can't say it enough because eight wins, seven out of eight undefeated on the road. There are so many things to celebrate here in Jacksonville. And I feel like Monday night, is going to be an insane asylum, Mia. And You'll be at Tailgaters, right?
2: Yes, Tailgaters starting at 3 p.m. Yes, for the big kickoff show, famous automotive kickoff show extravaganza. And don't forget, Lauren, now the light-up feature that the Jaguars will have. So did you see this? No. Oh, you haven't seen it yet. Oh, so let me explain. So the Jaguars, excuse me, want to make sure that you have their app downloaded.
1: Okay. You got me. I have the app downloaded. Okay. That's how so, I park.
2: If you have the app downloaded, what you're going to do is you're going to make sure it's as updated as it possibly could be. Got it. There will be updated new, on Monday. There will be a new feature in the drop-down menu. Plus, it'll be right on the home page called "Lock It Down, Light It Up."
1: Oh! And all you'll
2: have to do is just press that. Make sure your microphone and your camera are accessible,
1: Pen. and
2: there will be a light show prior to kickoff on Monday night, as long as you hold your phone up, all the phones will... So I'm
1: not going to do this in the press box. Sync to each other. But everyone else... I may, though,
2: because I kind of want to be witness to it. <laughs> like, I'll hold it up against the glass.
3: Just Make sure I- Campo's got his phone light ready. It's
2: not being a fan or, like, taking a side. It's just being part of a light show. Like, the one I was a part of with uh, at the Taylor Swift was, like, unreal. Oh, yeah. it was, I- uh, And that was on, like, the wristbands.
1: Okay. So... Yeah, I mean, I think it will be super fun for fans out there in the stands. And look, it it's about time that we had something kind of like this. Like the Duval, when they do that, not just the first Duval, but when they put up different players on the video boards throughout the game and they yell Duval and the fans get into it, like, I love that. I, I get chill bumps in the press box uh, when I cannot Duval back to them, unfortunately. Uh, but I think Monday night is just going to be amazing. And I'm sure that, you know the Jaguars will be at some point in time up by a lot. And maybe some fans want to head home early because it's Monday night and they have to work on Tuesday. That's okay. I understand. Uh, but I do think it'll be electric, at least like the first Get in your quarters. seats early.
2: That's the big one.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and also get downtown early because you don't mm-hmm. want to sit in traffic for a long time. Come Go. hang out at
2: Tailgaters, baby. Three That's o'clock. right.
1: So normally you Lots open at four, though. You're normally noon to three on primetime, so you're instead doing the kickoff show. So who's doing primetime?
2: Uh, yeah, so it'll still be, of course, Joe, Leon, and Matt. Okay. And JJ. Uh, hello, he's right here. Uh, how could we forget? But they will be joined uh, in a special edition of XL Primetime with Troy Aikman, who, of course, will be on the call for Monday's game with Joe Buck. They'll also have Dan Orlovsky joining them from ESPN. Sweet. And we are efforting, efforting, also getting Kurt Warner as well, um, who, of course, will be calling the game for Westwood One. So okay. um, quite the star-studded lineup on primetime. It'll continue. Um, With the kickoff show, as we'll have plenty of guests and a whole lot of fun, and uh, it'll be a good old time. We are going to be doing just the kickoff show, officially announced. We were originally going to have primetime on location as well. The lots do not open. The Jaguars lots, if you're listening, the Jaguars lots do not open until 4, and Tailgaters does not open until 4. We will be there at 3.00. So as soon as you get there, we'll already have the party bumping for you. Just pop on over Growler's Bar and Grill, and Hayes myself will be getting the party going. And what I, I drink? I know Hayes
3: will be on that Brackish.
2: That's oh what yeah. I was going to say. What drink
1: will be served by Brackish? Uh,
2: well, now I think we got to go back to the Donkey, <laughs> okay? Because uh, we, donkey. we had it before the Titans game, and oh. obviously uh, things went very well that week. So uh, I think we're going back to the Donkey and sticking with it, just like how it was undefeated for us everywhere inside of Duval County, not Kansas City last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, our big thanks to Matt and the Brackish team, of course, and Chad and the Tailgaters and Growlers Bar and Grill team. I am most disappointed, J.J. LaSelva, that uh, Frank Frangi is going to be joining us live. However, he just informed me because Hayes and I were hoping he would join us live at 440 before he has to head into the stadium. And that is when we will have Brackish on, Mm -hmm. and he would partake in the chug.
1: Oh, definitely not! But
2: he will not be. He is joining us to begin the show.
1: Okay, yeah. And either even if he was, well, Frank told me he takes a chug
3: of vodka before every (laughs) broadcast. (laughs) So that's weird that he's not doing that.
1: Listen, uh, as he's so- a Tito's guy, JJ <laughs> <laughs> True story. Yeah, exactly. True story. <laughs> Frank
3: oh, never, you know, mixes brands. We know that. True
1: story. That, number one. Company man. Hey, he's not at all a Tito's guy. I'm just joking. He's not even a vodka guy, so he's a beer guy. We he- love
2: brackish, though. Um, Correct. But- Everyone loves brackish. Yeah. Um True story. Uh, when I've emceed events, like when I emceed the Aussies at the, at UNF, You're like I
3: need like one. I drink. took
2: a sh- I took two shots before I w- went out on stage. class. a lot
3: of comedians. Yeah.
2: We'll oh, have, I'm like, sure, a drink before yeah. just to gone. like s- to soothe Loosen your up. nerves. Can yeah. you
1: imagine? Like, you tell the first joke, it doesn't go well. That's what I'm saying. And yeah. I, I had this ri- <sighs> I had the script job. written, Correct. like I was
2: hosting the Golden Globes, and so, I, and I had multiple costume changes, and so I was like, costume oh my changes. God. Yeah, you didn't know this, I guess it was before I was full time here, but oh yeah, I took that that issue seriously. Uh, <laughs> that, that's probably why they haven't asked for me to come back. I'm just kidding. They have. Uh, there's been some time conflicts, but no, like I, like you need to knock the nerves a little bit. Even I mean, me.
1: I, I, I totally agree with that. That's why think... Carlion does it every Sunday. But you do too, right? No, I,
2: I can't chug even with my tonsils removed. I haven't been able to chug. Since. But you have the
1: vodka. Oh, yeah, yeah. i are I, just not I chugging enjoy. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I enjoy She's it. being
3: a civilized person. I
1: enjoy right. it okay.
2: because I, I'm also hosting the show um, and trying to, like, land the 737 that is the famous automotive mm-hmm. kickoff show. And it's um, usually,
3: like, 9 in the morning, isn't it?
2: Yes. We chug <laughs> it at 940 because it's a 1 o'clock kickoff. So we are very excited. We'll be able to drink at a bit more acceptable hour on Monday night. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's... It's, There's no
1: hour that's not acceptable.
2: Ask, ask um, I agree with that. Carlion will attest to that. So yeah. he chugged a, an espresso martini Brackish vodka drink hey, at nine thirty. I just looked yeah. at him and I was <laughs> like, "How? <laughs> How?" Because like
3: the espresso martini,
2: right? Like the Duval donkey is uh, a Moscow, or not? A, yeah, it's a Moscow mule. <laughs> okay, so like that, I'm like, okay, it's like super smooth. We had the uh, the Lawrence lemonade one time. That's like super mm. smooth too. That's
1: smoother than a Moscow mule because the Moscow mule has ginger ale. Yes, it or does. ginger beer. Ginger beer, I I correct. Say, yeah. Um, but, so that's carbonated.
2: But the espresso martini, I was like, Hayes, how are you doing this? You're my supposed man? to be classy. He's a champion.
1: No, he's a champion, and it goes uh, viral. I can, on social I can media. tell everyone how he's doing that. He went to the University of Florida, which is... And he was on the six-year plan. A, yeah, a place Couple where you, laps, you absolutely like to learn to hold your alcohol and also imbibe and, your and alcohol not way too it. quickly. Just drink it quickly. Absolutely. My brother's fraternity always had ATO, always had Shazams. Oh, so yeah. instead of mimosas, it was vodka and orange juice and mm. then a splash of... I'm trying to remember now. It's been so long. Then a splash of something else, which is what made it... That instead of just a screwdriver. They called it a – oh, champagne. That's what it was. It was vodka, orange juice, and champagne. So it was kind of the mixture of a screwdriver and a mimosa. They would start drinking at 8 a.m. before no matter what time kickoff was. Uh, By the way, the college football (laughs) playoff is going on. The rankings are going on. Speaking of college. Speaking of college, that's right. Number five is Oregon. Number six is Ohio State. We knew that neither of those teams – would be in these rankings. But again, of course, we still have another week before these really factor in because we still have the ACC championship, the Pac-12 championship, and the SEC championship to determine things. But no surprise to me, Florida State comes in at number four at, of course, undefeated Florida State after beating Florida 24-15 to in the Swamp Saturday night. So Florida State comes in at number four. That's where I expected them it to be. It looks like they're
3: just moving everyone up one because Ohio, Ohio State, State yeah. moved exactly.
1: back. Exactly. Okay. So, I, yeah, I would expect that Georgia is still number one. and then will be two. Michigan will be two. Washington three. is now locked in at three, so that's what it'll be. All right. We've got to get to our bell ringer, so JJ, take it away.
2: Alabama has an incredible fourth goal touchdown from the 30 as Milrow hits Bond in the corner of the end zone for the win over Auburn.
0: That's all it is. But there's a lot of airspace to cover for Milrow. Still looking. Firing. Near corner. It's caught! Touchdown, Alabama! Isaiah Bond! On a fourth and a mile! We always keep thinking... We've seen it all, and we never have, have we? Bond. Isaiah Bond.
2: Cowboys' Daron Bland gets his fifth pick six this season as Dallas beats Washington 45-10. to
0: 10. Second and ten. There it is! This is history! If Bland can take it the distance, this would be the record! that was unbelievable
2: calvin ridley with a touchdown from trevor lawrence followed by a successful two-point conversion to put jags up 21 to 14
0: trevor drops looks looks fires back in the end zone caught for the touchdown touchdown in the back of the end zone to calvin ridley and Jacksonville has taken the lead how good is that
1: those were some good ones i will say so where were you, Mia, watching Alabama-Auburn? In my hotel room. Okay. Uh,
2: fading fast. <laughs> I was supposed to go out uh, with some of the Jags PR folks for, uh, for a late night dinner. But we had had a pretty big lunch. And uh, yeah, but. It was real. It was spectacular. It happened. And uh, I'm glad I didn't fall asleep at that point because I had that nice 530 a.m. flight out. Right. So uh, Saturday was the longest day of my young life outside of when Urban Meyer was fired. Um, But yes, uh, certainly a moment that, you know, we were talking about it on primetime. Like, where will that rank in the history of that rivalry? It's got to be right there with the kick six, does it not?
1: I mean, especially depending on what happens later this season, too. If Alabama somehow can knock off Georgia and Alabama goes to the college football playoff and Alabama wins, I mean, you're going to point back to that moment, which is wild. I, by the way, haven't heard of either of y'all heard the... Alabama radio call yeah, of that sucked. play? Oh, we, we so really?
3: the Auburn it. one. We played they it on primetime. Yeah. Oh. I haven't heard of the Auburn
1: call. It was meh. They oh. both like. I I'm was... sure the Auburn call was like no, that. No,
2: it I... was actually like, and Alabama scores. Because Alabama... you kind of
1: have to be like no, that. No, but it's... it
2: wasn't like depressed. Like oh. I wanted them to be sad, <laughs> and they weren't. Oh, yeah. Or like, ah, and then they scored, and yeah. that's the ball See, game. the
1: Alabama radio call should be sensational. Okay, right. I have
3: the uh, uh, Auburn call.
1: Okay, let's hear it.
0: Jalen Milrow on fourth and goal from the 31. Milrow to throw out of the shotgun with time. Still with time. He looks, he throws to the back of the end zone. It is caught for a touchdown. Isaiah Bond with the catch.
4: Andy, what they did was, they gave him so much time in the pocket it allowed Isaiah Budd to get to the back of the line against
3: one on one against DJ. I and see what Neil you're saying. The but th- the silence was everything to the me. The silence <laughs> was yeah. great. But- and then you hear this, uh, this part real fast. You hear like the color commentator in the background. He throws to the back of the end zone. Oh. It oh. is. <laughs> He's like, oh, oh no. Man.
1: <laughs> yeah. So we were at a friend's house ahead of Florida, Florida State. And <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah, watching that. And it was like, are you kidding me? I mean, of all the things, again, like you said, the kick six, like I know exactly where I was when the kick six happened 10 years ago, and this now I'll remember forever as well. And I just don't understand. We talk about this all the time. Why would you rush two? Why would you only rush three? Like, what are you thinking? Why You're... would you have a spy mm-hmm. on Correct. And I mean, 14? I guess that's thirty-one. 4th and, and 31. 31. Excuse me. 4th yeah. and 31. I was thinking of a different play. I just, I mean, yeah. were you thinking of 4th and 17? <laughs> yeah, um, I was, of Florida actually. Against yeah, Missouri? actually, I was. I mean, it's just – it seems like sometimes – and look, this happens a lot with Billy Napier at Florida. We'll get to college football in a second. But, like, there's just so many times where sitting on the couch, you're like, this makes no sense. Why would you do this? And uh, certainly Auburn social media, by the way, is calling for the defensive coordinator, Ron Roberts, to be fired after that play. I don't know that you fire a guy because of one play only. uh, Because if that's the case, then Billy Napier probably would be fired and he's not going to be. Uh, but it does just I do just scratch my head. Like, why would you only rush to your best chance to destroy a play is to light up the quarterback or at least contain him? Aye, aye, aye. Uh, the other play in there was. Oh, the Deron Bland. Pick. Yes. Fifth the, pick six. the Cowboys. yes, Yeah. Which is a
2: new record in the NFL. It's only week 12. And you giggled at Romo. I giggled at the Romo call. Because I was watching that game without the audio on at my friend's house okay. on the uh, the outdoor projector, and so I didn't hear that Romo call. Oh. Romo was in rare form this I weekend. Love that Romo
3: and Jim get along; that they're oh, best. I love buddies. it
1: too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I
2: mean, because it just feels like you're sitting at a bar with them, and they're just spewing. you can tell
3: they like each other, and it's just I don't know that does something for me. I don't know why. Yeah, I agree.
2: That's why I giggled because it's just like it feels like you and your buddy are watching a right. game, and he's like, "Nance, what a call!"
1: Like. <laughs> You gave me
3: goosebumps. Because you sort of think of Nance as, like, the professional of all professionals. And you look at Romo as, like, the cut-up, you know, guy making jokes. And the fact that, like, at first I thought, man, Nance probably hates that this guy talks so much. But it's (laughs) It's the opposite. He (laughs) loves him.
1: Well, I think it takes a lot of pressure off of the play-by-play guy when the color guy is really good at their job and also does talk a little bit more. I mean, yes, some play-by-play guys want to just talk the entire time, or women, uh, but I think a lot of them like the color person to be more of the star of the show. But yeah, I I like their rhythm. I like their energy. I think that's the key is like when you tune into Al Michaels, you just feel like you're about to fall asleep because he's not energized by the game. And those two are completely the opposite. All right. We've got more to do here on Helmuths and Heels. We will get it to college football and a whole lot more. You are listening to 10 to next on 2.5 FM.
0: Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to
1: you by Underwood Jewelers. And
0: First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL.
1: JJ just brought this to our attention. Mark Cuban purchased the Mavericks for $285 million in the year 2000. I was a senior in high school. $285 million was a lot back then. Welp. Today, he sold a majority stake for $3.5 billion. That is how you invest, ladies and gentlemen, if you have $285 million 23 years ago. That's how you turn it into cold, hard cash. All right, Mia, what's going on with the college football playoff rankings debate? So
2: we're getting some updates. Shout out to Bo Valentine. Apparently, it is not hot takes and shouting. It is embracing debate. Apparently... Florida State being fourth in the rankings has been a sticking point among the ESPN crew on this college football playoff selection Because of the loss of Jordan Travis? Herbie, as in Kirk Herbstreet, and Reese Davis are asking, are they really one of the best four teams in the country, especially minus Jordan Travis? To which Greg McElroy is insisting that FSU deserves to go in if they win. And everyone else is very upset. Maurice Davis has noted that Florida State's schedule is 40 spots lower in terms of strength of schedule mm-hmm. compared to Texas. Uh, Kirk Herbstreet keeps yelling, put the four best in Joey Galloway keeps shaking his head, disagreeing with McElroy.
1: So I will say following some Florida state people Street throughout this entire process, even before Jordan Travis was hurt has been anti Florida state. Now that could be like you said, because he's attributing that to the strength of schedule, Florida State could only play who they had on their schedule this season. They started the season with LSU, who might have the Heisman Trophy winner, and they won. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Florida gave them much resistance, even though I understand Florida led. That is that still—Florida could only score three points in the second half. That's not that much of resistance. If I'm a completely unbiased observer, I'm saying— a team has a resume that is undefeated. That is a power five team at this point in time. You're not picking who has the prettiest schedule, or not pretty. The prettiest eye test to this point. You're picking who has the resume. They have the resume, and they were able to beat a Florida team again. Not a great Florida team, but in the swamp.
2: Yeah, and I don't know. It's hard because then, like Matt Hayes has been, has been in these mock. College football playoff mm-hmm. selection committee meetings before, and he has said, like, they do talk a lot about the eye test.
1: And let's. But the eye test changes week to week in college football. Like, right. that's what. If you watch a lot of college football, you know that. Right.
3: Is it supposed to be the best four? The four I mean, it's best everyone's ter- different interpretations right. of that.
2: Right. Yeah. Exactly.
3: Because most people agree that TCU. Wasn't one of the best four teams last year, but you're not going to put a two loss Alabama, which is what they were last year ahead of what an undefeated TCU
2: one loss and it was a field goal in the championship game that OK, like
3: you're just with the two losses. It's different. We've never said. I mean, maybe they have. I don't know, but I'm pretty sure they keep it very vague for this reason. They're not like, hey, this is the best four teams every year because if that was the case we would have a completely different playoff you know what if that's the case then you know of course florida state doesn't belong but that's not how it works
2: right if florida state is undefeated if they beat louisville on saturday they're in there's no question they
3: should be in
2: right there's no question about it if they lose to louisville let's say they're and,
3: definitely out and they don't deserve to be in
2: well because then let's say oregon beats washington now those are both one loss outfits I'm not going to go there, folks. I'm not going to say that Iowa is going to beat Michigan. So you've got two undefeateds, potentially, unless, of course, Alabama beats Georgia. So now you have a one-loss Alabama, a one-loss Georgia, a one-loss Oregon, a one-loss Washington, and a one-loss Florida Expand
1: State. Expand it to 12 in 2023. Stop waiting for 2024, and well, let's just see who the best in team this, is.
2: In this year's pool, absolutely. It would be fantastic. I think some years, and we've talked about this a lot, is in some years it's top-heavy. This year happens to be a wide open field outside of Georgia, perhaps, and Michigan if you if you want to put them in there.
1: Yeah, and I think that's why Saturday night, Saturday afternoon, I should say, 3.30, is fascinating because if Alabama can beat Georgia, what does the committee do at that point in time?
3: Put Bama in, no question. Do you
1: keep Georgia in? So Bama that's lost thing, to a, a team in Texas. Depends on what
3: else happens.
1: Yeah, that wasn't ranked as high as the team that Georgia would have lost to mm-hmm. when Georgia loses to Alabama. Correct. Like, and
2: that's it's also a, a Texas team that won't tricky. have its lead running back, just like Florida State doesn't have its quarterback. I know that's there's a big difference there, but still, it's also a Texas team that has played with its food for many of the last 5-6 weeks.
3: I think if they put Alabama, I'm I'm just saying what they will do, right? Not what not they like should do. do. Yeah. I think if they put Alabama in with one loss, while Texas has one loss, and they leave Texas out, yeah. that's a catastrophe. Right. I think that's a head shame. to
1: head. You in the NFL, yeah, what's you even always the use point those? Yeah. of them exactly. playing
3: Alabama. They already beat them, like right. in Tuscaloosa. They have the exact same record. Yep. That would be. Oh, my God. So, I mean, it's because they're called Alabama. You know, it's because they've been so good over the last 20 years. That's the only reason they will put them in over Texas. That would be a shame. I hope it doesn't come down to that. The committee is praying that Louisville wins. (laughs) The committee is praying that Oklahoma State wins. And so they they just don't have to worry about either one of those.
2: On cue, our boy Brett McMurphy of the Action Mm -hmm. Network just tweeted it. Texas is, Texas is screwed. The College Football Playoff Selection Committee has had the Longhorns behind Oregon in all five rankings this season, despite more top 25 wins, and has no chance to do- jump the Ducks if both win conference titles. Which, Oregon, a 9.5-point favorite in Vegas on Friday.
3: Yeah, because Texas is 7, Oregon's 5. They still do have Texas above Alabama in the college football ranking, playoff rankings, but if Bama beats Georgia, who knows what they'll do.
1: Yeah, I think there's so much debate that could happen, but at the same time, just like a week ago when people were upset about who was where, it was like, just let Ohio State and Michigan play before really concerning yourself with who's ranked where because one of those teams is going to be knocked out, which we saw that's exactly the case. Uh, By the way, what did y'all think of Ohio State-Michigan?
2: Great game. Um, I think the Ohio State defense, and I know there's plenty of folks that would love for a 12-team playoff so they could see that defense try to prove its mettle and advance to a national championship independent of one loss to Michigan. Um, But the quarterback is the most important position in sports, and the quarterback failed them. And what's wild about Michigan is that they probably have a top five, top ten quarterback in college football right now, and they don't even have to lean on him that much. That's what's surprising to me.
1: Yeah, I thought it was good to see Blake Coram healthy, J.J., finally for the first time in this rivalry. But how does Ohio State have Kyle McCord back there? How do they not have a better solution? And
3: it was – you know, first drive, they throw a pick, mm-hmm. and that leads to a touchdown. And then Last right drive. before halftime, they miss a field goal. Yep. So, like, the, the little stuff like that, it's—well, I, I throwing a pick on the first drive is not little. But, I mean, things like that in a game this close, obviously yep. you're going to lose. So. so,
2: since we love hypotheticals and looking ahead to the 12-team playoff, Ross Dellinger of SI just did the bracket of what it would look like under the 12-team playoff mm-hmm. format. Georgia, Michigan, Washington, Florida State all would have buys. The first round would be Penn State at Texas, Ole Miss at Ohio State. That's juicy. Mm -hmm. Tulane at
1: Oregon, Mizzou at Alabama. Tulane at Oregon. Mizzou? Yeah, they're number nine. Yeah, Missouri at Alabama could be an interesting game. I I mean, they've. Missouri's proved itself this season for sure. Yeah, this this isn't this ain't the your grandmother's Missouri. I'm sorry, uh, Michael Pratt aside, but come on. I that's, mean, that's and that's going to be, I think, the big debate
2: when the 12 team playoff goes into effect. The fact that the group of five highest ranked team will be in the field because let's say we have an even more wide open race for the national championship next year, and the 12th team is a Penn State or it is a, a USC. You know, Caleb Williams won't be there. Malachi Nelson, though, presumably will be the quarterback. He's a highly touted recruit. Let's say he becomes the next Caleb Williams. And they're the 12th ranked team, but the group of five school has to get in. And I think that's going to be our next debate in this new iteration of the college football playoff. Um, if that first round lineup didn't, you know, didn't do it for you, if the top seeds were to hold, the quarterfinals would be Michigan, Texas. Mm hmm. Ohio State-Washington,
1: mm-hmm.
2: Oregon-Florida State, and Georgia-Alabama. I think all of you would sign up for a Saturday of that.
3: That's uh. not, that. As the guy who's anti this, that's not our argument, though. Our argument isn't that the playoffs won't be fun. Mm-hmm. Our argument is what just happened on Saturday and what will happen next Saturday is not the same. It's totally changing the regular season. Like... Alabama and Georgia will still get in regardless of what happens on Saturday. Um, Washington, Oregon will still get in what happens regardless on Saturday. Florida State can lose, still get in on Saturday. You know, like, uh, what what just happened with the Iron Bowl? Alabama gets in regardless. You know, Georgia loses to Georgia Tech, they're still in. All this excitement, it's not the what same. It won't yeah. be the same. I, I And I, I'm not going to argue that the playoff isn't going to be fun, because of course it will be, but... To me, the regular season will be tainted. From now on, it won't be the same.
1: I can certainly understand that because, I mean, I'm old enough for, you know, the BCS voting the two teams in to be the thing that we all, you know, had to wait for and even teams tying uh, for the national championship, like having two national champions. It was terrible. It was terrible. They were
3: always right. They always see except yeah. 2000 maybe was terrible. Yeah. but. I'm pro-14 playoff. I'm even sort of pro-6. But to just go to 12 is crazy. Yeah, I do think it should have gone from 4 to 8. Yeah, it's all about greed, man. Or maybe 6 and have two buys or something. Yeah,
1: so the thing that I think is is what's fascinating to me is, like you're talking about, the we'll just say the SEC championship, I mean all the uh, other ones too, but the SEC championship has meant so much for so long. Right. And now it's almost like, other than the fact that you make a lot of money playing it, why would you play it? And be why like, would you play seating. your starters?
3: The seating, it's about this.
1: right. It's yeah, like, I mean, I'm if you are going to get, get the excited buy. about the
3: seeding, sorry, yeah. as a as a neutral viewer at home,
1: right.
3: when two teams that I know are already going to be in the playoffs, I am not like, oh my god, one might get a buy here. It's right. just not. Yeah, it same just matters as for when the team. Whoever loses in college football, they're out. Yeah. Like, it is the playoffs. Right. Saturday
1: is the playoff yeah. round. One more I, quote I from Herb Street
2: just now. Yeah. He says that the playoff committee has been so worried about putting in the most deserving teams based on resume, and what we've gotten in semifinal games is the average margin of victory is 19. True. Well,
3: so, is he saying that we should just have SEC teams in then? Yeah,
1: maybe he. And well, Ohio State. Yeah, Don't Ohio you forget State. Ohio State. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, like we said, I think Florida State, if Florida State beats Louisville, is in. And I don't think that just because a team suffers an injury means that they should be knocked out if they're still winning. And that would have still mean two wins. All right, one segment to go here in Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet on 1010XL, 92.5 FM.
0: Helmets and Heels on 1010XL, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans.
1: JJ, are you a concert person?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Okay. But uh,
0: it's been a
3: while. It's been a little bit since I went to. I can't even remember the last one I went to.
1: Well, I just heard on the radio the other day that this guy, John Mellencamp, is touring starting in 2024. The closest he comes to Jacksonville is Orlando. So if you want to go see Mellencamp and a little cherry bomb.
2: All right. Little Jack and
1: Diane, little pink houses. Uh, not Orlando. Sorry. Savannah. The other one. No, even closer. Yeah. We'll take that. Yeah. Savannah's an easy drive. By the way, earlier we had our bell ringers. I wanted to mention to you, Bellwether is located downtown. It's where Timeless American Fair takes a modern turn. They are fantastic at everything they do. Hopefully lots of you got your Thanksgiving meals from Bellwether. They're on West Forsyth Street. We've been there before doing helmets and heels. It was an absolute blast. Uh, so make sure you get by there this week. All right, college basketball. I'm sad when I say that Florida... Lost to Baylor Friday night and did not win the NIT preseason invitation. Or, not preseason. What do they call it? The NIT.
3: I think it's preseason. Is it? Okay, yeah, preseason
1: NIT. That's what I thought, but then I was like, wait, it can't be preseason because we're in season. But yeah, preseason NIT. Preseason
3: tournaments in college basketball just mean like. Pre- In season. <laughs> they yeah, <call> yeah, them- <laughs> I think it's like pre conference back. They call them
1: MTEs, which I still yeah, don't know. That means multi team events. They're- I, I do wow. know that.
2: Wow. Yeah. Let's go, Lauren. The <laughs> AP voter didn't Isn't even know that A
3: multi team event could be any game. <laughs> Correct. Because it involves two teams. <laughs>
1: right. But that would, yes, that would make <laughs> sense. All games are multi- MTs. No, but anytime you have, I think, at least four teams come to one site, it's an MTE. Yeah.
3: I think Miami won them. Uh, the Bahamas Invitational.
1: Which they is did. it's funny because Frank was supposed to hang out with Joe Zagacki, the voice of the Canes, both obviously football and men's basketball, when he went last weekend to Gino Toretta's Jersey retirement. Mm-hmm. But Joe was in the Bahamas calling men's basketball, had to fly in real fast, call football, and fly oh, back whoa. to the Bahamas. Yes, that was a whole thing I that happened. I stayed at
3: that casino, by the way. Did you? How it, was it? It was very nice. I was... Only there because JetBlue canceled my flight and had to give me a room somewhere, and it just happened to be at that casino. Did you win money? I did two hundred fifty bucks on roulette.
1: Very nice.
2: Yeah. More so, positive vibes for you, JJ. The Canes are currently in action. Yeah, up eight six against at, Kentucky at Rupp Arena, baby. It's early, obviously, <laughs> but yeah, up eight to six over Calipari. They're ranked higher as well in the latest eight people, than the Cats basketball
3: uh, schools, which lower. going at it. Just two blue bloods.
2: Yeah, well, no, like the the Canes are ranked ahead of. The yeah, that's what what yeah, I'm yeah yes, that's why yeah. I say lower. Yes, yeah,
1: you can you yeah. lower higher. I know that's it's, right. Which
2: yeah. uh, if uh, Foye Lewican is listening, which I know he does sometimes late at night here on 1010 uh, he's shaking his head right now because in his opinion Kentucky is the most talented team with okay. all the McDonald's All-Americans Calipari has leaned back in he's gone back to one and dones. he stopped with the transfer portal nonsense outside of a couple plug-and-play guys so Foy's big college basketball guy Ma- oh yeah massive massive we're talking about like you know Trying to get him to do some sort of some sort of college basketball analyst for us here at ten ten because he that would is, be great. He's locked in on uh, on college basketball. Big Kentucky fan st- despite being a S- uh, St. Louis kid. So uh, he gives me flack each week for my eight people because I I don't have Kentucky high enough and. Kansas, much like Samuel L. Jackson. Did you guys see that tweet from over the weekend? No. Uh, Kansas has Hunter Dickinson, who flops more than a soccer player, um, which is the polite way of saying what Samuel L. Jackson tweeted. Are you ready for this? Did you guys not see this over the weekend? No,
3: I did, but I didn't realize he was a fan of whoever he's talking. Like, what team does he support?
2: Who, Samuel Uh, L. or Poirier? Samuel L. No, so Samuel L. Jackson, I I don't even know who he is a fan of, but he was watching the Maui Invitational last week, and he tweets,
1: damn, this Dickinson. Dickinson
3: MF on KU flops like he's on a soccer pitch. Which, <laughs> as a soccer fan, I like that he used the word pitch.
1: Which, sure.
2: his previous tweet was about three weeks earlier. At what point do we start the Rams
1: coaching conversation?
3: I like that he's so involved in sports.
1: It's all he tweets about, man. Uh, kind of love it. Again, still early, but now Kentucky's up 10 to 8. They've gotten yeah. two buckets in a row, but either that's way, right. it'll. Be, that, I think that's a super fun game to lock into on. What is it called on Tuesdays? Super Tuesday, super Tuesday. right? In yep. College yep. basketball, yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Big uh, Monday, Super Tuesday. That's
1: right, yeah. but yeah. So Florida lost to Baylor. Baylor's really talented, yeah. and Florida didn't have Micah hand-logged him. but still, to have a basketball team score ninety-one points in a loss, that means that Todd Golden has his team playing really well offensively. Todd
2: Golden is doing what Billy Napier won't do, which Correct. is hit.
1: Mind the portal.
2: Yeah, hit in the transfer portal.
1: Yes, absolutely. The entire team, basically, other than Riley Kugel, is made up of transfer portal guys, which is very similar to last year. Colin Castleton was not a transfer portal guy. Well, he was, but not last year. He originally came from Michigan. And then Kugel was a freshman who played super well. But he has his team playing much better. There's not those super long offensive droughts. Uh, so that has been fun to see. All right, uh, who else is really good in college basketball, Mia? Well, of course,
2: we begin with the Maui Invitational last week, which this field was decided about two years ago. So you couldn't have predicted that four top 10 teams in the AP poll, not to mention a couple of Blue Bloods and Gonzaga, who's also ranked in the top 25, UCLA, who also was featured in this week's poll, I think solely because uh Actually, no, they didn't make the poll. They're receiving votes. They're in my ballot. Um, I I think they only got those votes because they had to play in the Maui Invitational. They had to play um, the likes of Purdue, Gonzaga, right out the gate. Um, It was just incredible to see all those teams on the floor, to see some great basketball. Um, but ultimately it is the Boilermakers who continue their quest to avenge their loss to a 16 seed in the opening round of the NCAA tournament a year ago. They want to be like Virginia back in 2019, who got bounced in 2018 by UMBC, the first number one seed to fall to a 16 seed. They bounce back and they win the national title. People are very high on the Boilermakers and Zach Eadie, the reigning national player of the year, to do the same this upcoming season. So they are 6-0. and They are number one in the AP poll, but there's some teams, you know, Nipping at their heels. He got an undefeated Arizona squad that went to a- Cameron Indoor. They knocked off Duke in the first part of the, Are they in the, still first cheating? Of the early season. Arizona? Yeah. Like, <laughs> you? Uh, oh, oh, you mean, oh, no, no, no. He's, no, he's back at Xavier. Yeah. You haven't heard? Oh, yeah. Sean Miller's back at Xavier now. Forgiveness out in Cincinnati, baby. Um, no, they got Tommy Lloyd, uh, which is, of course, Mark Few, the head coach of Gonzaga's air um, little minion who ultimately was like, yeah, no, I'm not going to wait around for Mark to retire. I'm going to go start my own program. Smart move. In Arizona, so they're 6-0. and um, Marquette uh, looked outstanding in the Maui Invitational. They make it all the way to the final. They upset Kansas, um, which has the, that flopping for Hunter Dickinson, who <laughs> is challenging on, uh, Zach Eadie for National Player of the and Year. And he was the transfer
1: from Michigan, Michigan right? Correct. Yeah. Yep. Oh, and, that's what you just said, yeah. Yep,
2: and then you have UConn, who has won 23 straight non-conference games, which is a record in college basketball, and they're the reigning national champs. I think people forget that. I like think people do. Dan Hurley, yes, they lost six of their top eight scorers, but they brought back enough firepower. They dra- they brought in a ton of, you know, young recruits who've been able to make an impact. And so, listen, the team up in stores They're still competing. And uh, ditto to the women's front, by the way, because the parity in the women's game is amazing right now. And so UConn's lost. um, You know, LSU obviously lost its opener to Colorado. Iowa lost. Angel Reese is nowhere to be found. Angel Reese is getting benched allegedly because of academic issues. Oh, now we care about grades? Oh, right. Exactly. So I don't buy that. Um, So, yeah, the, the women's AP poll might even be more entertaining just because it's just. All over the place because everybody's getting picked off every other night, which is honestly what you want in college basketball. Um, other than that, Miami 5-0 and on the men's side, which, you know, we'll see how, uh, goes. How, how Lexington treats the Canes. But I'm glad you brought up Baylor and the Gators, Lauren, because uh, Baylor is number nine in this week's AP poll. Scott Drew is another guy that I think people forget about because he won a national championship in a bubble. He can recruit. He can coach. Baylor looks great again, and so that's why I think when we look a couple weeks down the line, we're going to say, hey, that actually was a pretty good loss for Florida because that's a Baylor team that is a top-10 squad.
1: Yeah, and the other lost to Virginia, which another really good team. Which I had in my ballot last week. So there you have it. All right, let's say hello to Rick Ballew.
0: Now, the two-minute drill brought to you by Tire Outlet. Keeping the sports world spinning with wholesale prices and premium service. Tire Outlet, Jacksonville's largest locally owned automotive repair shop.
1: Rick, you got to feel good in at number four in the latest college football playoff rankings is FSU.
4: Yeah, it's the right move. They're undefeated. Um, all chaos is going to break out if if Bama wins. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen then, But they, they show Bama no love at all. They stayed at eight. So, um, you know, you look at one-loss teams, they're what? Uh, I don't have anything in front of me, but there's, th- there's what? Two, three lost teams ahead of Alabama right now. Oregon, Texas, Texas. Oregon, yeah. Oregon and Texas and Ohio State. And Ohio State. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's what we need we need a 12 team college football playoff and typically these things work out. Something crazy will happen. Louisville will beat Florida State or you know, Oklahoma State will beat Texas or you know, something will happen. I I can't make a case for Iowa. Uh, Sorry, oh, it's yeah, all good. Uh, over Michigan, but um, yeah, I, I think the main question is a lot of what we're going to talk about tonight is, is it about what you've done through 13 weeks to say you're the top four team in America, or is the criteria for the committee to pick who the four best teams are? Because even though Alabama struggled, you know, and through that miracle pass here to beat Auburn, mm-hmm. I don't think there's a Florida State fan alive right now. Who believes a Tate Rodemaker Florida State team beats an Alabama team, and, yeah. and
1: and those are the facts, you know? Right, but your resume at some point has to count. Sure it
4: does, and and the committee yeah. Is and if Florida that.
1: State hadn't started the season with LSU, I'm not sure that the committee would be standing on the resume. But yeah. it is what it is because of that. That's why you schedule games like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the end of the day, yeah, I'm with. The committee not with Kirk Street. I think Florida State belongs in the top floor right now. Florida
4: State's the only team in all of college football this year to have four wins as double-digit, where they were trailing by double digits, including the last two weeks. Their biggest deficit of the year was two weeks ago. Against Northern Alabama when they were down, or North Alabama when they were down 13 nothing, yeah, twelve nothing to it, Florida. They were down should have
1: been more than twelve nothing to Florida, but yeah. <laughs> some they were down happened. by
4: ten to uh, to Duke. They were down by ten mm-hmm. uh, to Clemson. So again, they're the only team in college football who's been down four times this year by double digits. They've been able to come from behind and win. But we sort of, you know,
1: in. But But how does the the committee look at that? Does the committee look at that as a positive because of the resilience and the Um, comeback? Or does the committee look at that and say, look, they're just not that talented. They got lucky. I don't know.
4: There's no way you can look at that as a positive uh, the last two weeks. Okay. I mean, you had a directional school at home. Yeah. And last week, I know very few who thought that Florida would win that game with a record of five and six. Florida State came out shell-shocked offensively. I mean – and I've it was the loudest the, environment. I've, yeah, very tough environment. But yeah. I talked about how, uh, you know, how much of a coma they've been in mm-hmm. at times this year. It, they went three and out twice, and they allowed Florida to have consecutive 13 play drives. I get it's a very difficult place to play, but sure. it didn't feel like they were ready. In that contest.
1: Well, I'm so. sure they were devastated from the loss. I mean, that still stings. You've got Jordan Man. Travis on a golf cart heading out to practice instead right. of leading your football team. By the way, uh, two of my mom's really good friends are going to Charlotte for the ACC championship. So I know, and they're FSU fans by by uh, all accounts. Not by all accounts. They are diehard FSU fans, and by all accounts, they are expecting an FSU win.
4: Yeah, I mean, Florida, and I'm again, this is what I'm going to talk about tonight. Florida State's fifth in the nation in points they've allowed in the second half. They've allowed less than a touchdown this year in the second half. They're fourth in the nation at nearly 19 points scored in the second half. So, I mean, these are different statistics. You don't hear people talk about them a lot, but I think it's the definition of this year's team. If you are within a possession at halftime, they are going to score – 13 more points on average in the second half than they actually do give up uh, outside of the B.C. game. Florida State's defense in the second half this year has been absolutely incredible, just outstanding. And they're going to have to be the same way here against the Louisville team, which you know was a dual threat. Louisville really got beat up defensively. I was surprised that Kentucky you know, put up 31 points on them in the second half.
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right. We won't steal any more of your thunder for what's coming up tonight.
4: Well, we got all of that good stuff. We got some Jaguars. Uh, you think you're going to get a lot of calls today? Uh, we Jaguars listen, win, no calls. Jaguars win, we get no calls. Okay, I mean, <laughs> there's plenty of
2: locker room sound if you need to use it. Yeah. Uh, that I know Gibby kindly cut up, so uh, at he least did, we can have that. He
4: did cut it up, and I, I think I retweeted your tweet on all that beautiful sound. Uh, here's uh, this may shock you. I'm never a loss for words. I never really need filler, okay? But uh, I'm, I'm glad to know that it's there uh, just in case. But uh, uh, maybe we'll talk about golf today, just how great mm-hmm. it was. 60 degrees out on the golf course. Ooh, also talk you about uh, Tiger, Tiger Woods, too,
2: with some of his uh, pointed comments at the Hero World Championship. tonight. too. So there we go.
4: Did, did he formally announce that he's playing at the players?
2: He said his goal is to play one tournament per month.
4: Because a little birdie told me today that he will be playing at this year's players championship, which remember has never really been his favorite. No, he's won here as an amateur. Mm -hmm. He's won here as a professional, but he's been asked the question about a fifth major. He's been asked the question forever. This is not one of his favorite golf courses. He hasn't had the success here that he's had obviously in Orlando at Bay Hill, but for him to come here would be huge. Uh, for the good folks in March.
1: How'd you play and where'd you play in the Malay I put over
4: at Cimarron, one okay. of our newest nice. clients. Yeah. Uh, they've it. totally redone the greens. They yeah. were redoing
1: it
2: last time I played there. Yeah, they've got yeah. a
4: bad reputation. They did. So like they, Taylor Swift. They got a really, really bad reputation. So they came to me, someone with a good oh, reputation, and go. said, you need to change this thing I around like a little bit. And the greens are fantastic. The tee boxes, the... The fairway, uh, fairways in a very affordable rate. I know when I say it, some of you may be, what? Cimarron, are you kidding me? No. It is totally changed under new ownership. My buddy Rick, uh, Rick Shoemaker out there, so... Uh, give it a chance, and I think you'll enjoy it.
2: Get me out there soon because well, let's uh, play, haven't, O'Brien. I haven't played in a couple Crying of months out loud now. Man. Damn football Your season! Not good when
4: you and I play, we I always know. find snakes and stuff. We out do. There
2: too. We, we uh, we're literally Steve Irwin and Bindi out there <laughs> looking for all the wildlife. A bunch of
4: deer today at, uh, Ooh, at Cimarron.
2: Whole well, family of did them. Did you and Kenny find any um, O'Brien balls out there? They refer, oh, yeah. they refer all right. to all the like pink and hot colored, like neon golf balls as Mia balls because I I prefer to play with the Yeah, O'Brien and the would be
4: like approaching water and she will pull like uh, like an x-out top flight range ball because she's afraid that she'll ruin or lose a good golf ball, ball in the good water ones. so yeah. she goes so, so whenever my South African American friend uh, Kenny whenever we find bad balls like that we always say this is a Mia O'Brien ball Well you have to bring them back joke to her she's now
1: part of i love it well we have run into your time rick so we my will goodness let's just let keep going go <laughs> we will be back next tuesday hopefully with taylor doll back and the fold for me o'brien perjillo selva i am lauren brooks don't go anywhere And tonight with rick blue comes up next right here on tonight's 72.5 fm